Hello, and welcome to Words on Film, the spoken word podcast dedicated to moving pictures. I'm Dan Burke, your host and movie critic, and I'm here to tell you exactly what I think of some of the latest movies out right now. Today on Words on Film, it is a special show for a couple of reasons. The first reason is... This is somewhat of a 10-year anniversary show because I have been hosting the radio show Words on Film for 10 years. Now, if you go to my podcast, you'll notice that the episodes go back about seven years at this point. There's a reason for that because it started out primarily as a radio show and then it eventually evolved into a podcast when a bunch of people told me, where can I download your show? To which I told them, well, at the moment you can't. That all changed in 2018 when I cross-pollinated my show, and it's now a radio show and a podcast, and I couldn't be more proud of it, and I'm also not hanging up the towel anytime soon. I wish I had brought some confectionaries or maybe had a sound effect to put in there, but I can't do that right now. But just letting you all know out there that this is the 10th anniversary of Words on Film, and I'm very proud of this show. It's also a special show for another reason. On this show, I am showcasing the best movies and the worst movies of 2023, according to me. So this is a list of movies that I've seen, and based on how I feel about them, I'm going to tell you what they are. And I'm going to start with the best, because the worst is kind of the the best to go over as taking a final crack at some of those uh, bad movies. But honestly, the best movies are the ones that I can't wait to talk about. And so the the best movies of the year I've got in a standard top 10 list. Although, actually, when I was making this list, I had heard a lot about how movies aren't the same as they used to be, how there are some movies that look like hits, but were actually flops and vice versa. And I sort of got caught up in the hype of maybe 2023 not being the best year for movies. But truthfully, as I was sitting down and opting what would be the best and the worst movies of the year, I actually had more movies in the best category than I did in the worst category. Honestly, there are a lot more films to which I gave my rating of a knockout and which I wouldn't take back than my rating of a flunk out, my lowest rating. But rest assured, these are films that I loved and they're not the only films that I loved, but I need a top 10 list. So here it is. And here we go. So starting with number 10, my number 10 best film of 2023, according to me, is Air. This is the film that was directed by Ben Affleck and stars Matt Damon, Jason Bateman, Chris Tucker, Ben Affleck himself, and Viola Davis. And this film follows the history of sports marketing executive Sonny Vaccaro and how he led Nike in its pursuit of the greatest athlete in the history of basketball, Michael Jordan. And a lot of people, when this movie came out in April, sort of mocked it and said that it was a tribute to capitalism. And that may be true. However, first of all, it got the 80s setting absolutely right. Secondly, it's also a very appealing underdog story, I thought. And everyone who acted in this film acted really well, including Ben Affleck, who fortunately took a backseat in the acting department here. And the reason I say fortunately is because when he's directed movies in which he starred, the results have been somewhat mixed. The primary exception to that is Argo, of course, where he was the lead in that movie. And while he wasn't the best actor in the movie, he did do a competent job there. But he relegated himself to the supporting actor category and let other Actors here like Matt Damon and Jason Bateman most especially shine. And I think the result of that ends up being a very solid film, not to mention an underdog story about how the number three best-selling shoe company in the 80s went to number one because of a risky investment on their part. But this movie could probably be shown in some college marketing classes as what to do and what not to do to elevate your brand. I think it's very good in that respect. It also has a lot of heart, which is why Air is number 10 on my list of top 
of best movies of 2023. Number nine is the movie Killers of the Flower Moon, which was directed by Martin Scorsese, stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, and Lily Gladstone, and is based on a book written by David Gran. One of the reasons that this movie is kind of low on the best list for me is because it was three hours, 26 minutes, and I think that about 20 to 30 minutes of this film could have been cut and could have been a bit more compact. But the reason it's on the list in general is because the acting is solid, especially by the likes of Robert De Niro and Lily Gladstone. And it also tells probably an overlooked chapter in American history about how white people treated the Native Americans after they got away with scalping them. In other words... It it defeats some probably hurtful stereotypes about Native Americans, and it also shows a, a part of American history that you wouldn't read in a textbook, particularly in a grade school or a high school textbook. Now, that's in large part due to the book that was written by David Gran of the same name, but making a movie out of it certainly elevates it to a larger audience because that's the world in which we live right now. But it is an excellent film. I don't know if it's necessarily Martin Scorsese's best film. It's probably not his very best, but it's one of his best. I think the length sort of hindered the movie a little bit, but there was a lot more good in this movie than bad, which is why. Killers of the Flower Moon is my number nine most favorite film of 2023. Moving on to number eight. Number eight is kind of like the subject of the movie Air, a little bit of an underdog here, and I don't think it will be nominated for very many Academy Awards, if any, but I still enjoyed it very much. The movie is Dumb Money, directed by Craig Gillespie and starring Paul Dano, Pete Davidson, Vincent D'Onofrio, Shailene Woodley, Seth Rogen, and many, many others. And this is a David and Goliath tale about everyday people who flipped the script on Wall Street and got rich by turning GameStop, the video game store that you see in malls, into, for at least a short while, the world's hottest company. And this movie details events that made the news during the pandemic and surprised a lot of people. That's absolutely certain, in- including myself. And it's a movie that was begging to be made I- into, or rather it was a true story that was begging to be made into a film. And I think that Paul Dano in particular anchors this film very well. And the movie is called Dumb Money, but it is a very, very smart movie, very similar to some of Adam McKay's dramas with the exception of Don't Look Up. But Dumb Money definitely reminded me a lot of The Big Short, and I compare it favorably to that film, but the movie certainly brings you back to 2021 when the world was a lot more different than it is now, even though it's only been about two years, but it's 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 very interesting, not to mention intriguing, to see all these people who were involved in the unexpected resurgence of game stock in the stock market. And it's also very funny. And just about everyone in this movie acts incredibly well. And it's one of the reasons that dumb money is my number eight favorite movie, most favorite movie of 2023. Now on to number seven, my number seven most favorite movie of 2023 is Asteroid City. This is another movie like Dumb Money with an all-star cast, as well as some other actors who are not quite as well-known who still did an amazing job in this film. Asteroid City is another movie in the repertoire of Wes Anderson, who co-wrote this film alongside Roman Coppola, with whom he has collaborated many times. The stars of the movie include, and I'm only going to say the top five because there are so many in this film, Jason Schwartzman, Scarlett Johansson, Tom Hanks, Jeffrey Wright, and Brian Cranston, amongst others. And there are actually some other people in this roster who I would love to name, but I only have a limited amount of time. But this follows a writer on his world-famous fictional play about a grieving father who travels with his tech-obsessed family to a small rural asteroid city to compete in a junior stargazing event, 
only to have his worldview disrupted forever. And this film takes place in the 1950s, which was kind of like now a time of excitement, but also a time of fear and paranoia for a variety of reasons. And I think that not only is this film very quirky and very funny, like many of Wester Anderson's films are, but it also uh, draws a lot of very good allegories to the times in which we live today. Not to mention aliens here form a subplot. And when the alien actually makes its appearance, it's, it's probably one of the highlights of the film, but it's not, just the only great or the only memorable part of the film. And everyone here is on board with Wes Anderson with his quirkiness and also his unique and subversive type of storytelling, not to mention his very unique cinematography. Asteroid City is a very appealing film. It's an unforgettable film. And it is my number seven most favorite film of 2023. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke, and I'm continuing with my list of my top 10 best films of 2023, in my humble opinion. And I'll just go over briefly what my numbers 10 through 7 were on my list. Number 10, Air. Number 9, Killers of the Flower Moon. Number 8, Dumb Money. Number 7, Asteroid City. And now, number six on my list. My number six most favorite film of 2023 was, or is, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. This is a coming-of-age comedy drama that Judy Bloom wrote in the early 1970s, and it was a groundbreaking book, especially for adolescent girls, but also for people who are older. It's also a controversial book, and one of those books that is actually still being banned in libraries across the United States, even to this day. However, Judy Bloom had several opportunities to have this film be made into a feature film previously, and she turned every single one of them down until now, over 50 years later. And I got to say that even though I didn't read Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, I wasn't exactly the target audience for it, I still think this film, in terms of its themes as well as its ways of not pandering to its audience, really made this film not not only special, but great. And the movie has a fantastic cast, primarily Al, uh, Abby Ryder Forston, who plays the titular Margaret. Also great in this film is Rachel McAdams, who plays her mother, Barbara. Kathy Bates, who plays her grandmother, Sylvia. In addition to some other notable supporting actors, including but not limited to ben, Benny Safdie, who plays her father, Herb. And I think this movie is not only true to the book, not just in the fact that it takes place in the early 1970s, which was around the time the book was written, but also the fact that it really doesn't pull any punches in terms of what adolescent girls should expect when they reach a certain age. And I really like that about the book. And I also like the fact that the performances in the film were not only great, but also genuine and very honest. Judy Bloom is credited as a co-writer on this movie. I think she's probably given credit for having written the book as she should legally, but she also hasn't been disappointed in the movie, nor should she be because it's excellent. And in my opinion, one of the best films of the year. On to my number five best film of the year. That film is number five on my list, Renaissance, a film by Beyonce. Now, this is a year where we've had a lot of great music-related concert films and documentaries, including Taylor Swift, The Eras Tour, and maybe it's not in the category of a concert film, but it's still a great 
musical documentary, Joan Baez, I Am a Noise. But Renaissance, a film by Beyonce, made my list because it has everything. It has a series of great performances by Beyonce in this film. It doesn't hold back on the fact that it that it was filmed and takes place in various cities and various concert venues. It not only doesn't hide that fact, it also embraces it with some amazing cinematography and some great editing. And it also has a lot of background information about Beyonce, about her where she grew up, her ambitions, her hopes and dreams. And it also pays service to a number of other people who are working the concert, including some of the people who put a lot of the amazing pyrotechnics together, the backup dancers, and probably most importantly, the fans get their due here as well. It has just about everything. I think it's Definitely one of the best films of the year. As I said, it's number five on my list, but I also think it will go down along with The Last Waltz and Stop Making Sense as one of the best concert films ever created, period. I had an amazing time while watching this film. It wasn't just toe-tapping for me. I also It also really moved me, which is why Renaissance, a film by Beyonce, is number five on my list of best films of the year. My number four best film of the year is Oppenheimer. Now, this is a film that came out in July of this year and was, through a very clever marketing campaign, elevated alongside the Barbie film, which was expected to to do better than Oppenheimer. After all, that's a film that has a massive appeal, and it's also shorter than Oppenheimer. But I liked how the two of them went hand-in-hand, and they both benefited. Barbie benefited more, as was to be inevitable, but a lot of people saw Oppenheimer who I think wouldn't have seen it, and while they were in for a very harrowing tale, they were in for a treat as well because this was a high-quality movie and definitely one of Christopher Nolan's best films. It is, of course, the story of American scientist J. Robert Oppenheimer and his role in the development of the atomic bomb. And Keelan Murphy has the role of a lifetime in playing J. Robert Oppenheimer. And I'm betting that studio executives probably wanted somebody bigger in this film to play J. Robert Oppenheimer, but Keelan Murphy proved himself worthy of being the lead in this film, even though he's not exactly a matinee idol, if you want to call him that. But there are also some great supporting performances in this movie by Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., the latter of whom is probably going to be nominated for an Oscar, and for very good reason. And this not only tells the tale of how much of a genius J. Robert Oppenheimer was, and his role in basically ending World War II in favor of uh, of the Americans, but also the emotional and psychological toll that that victory took on J. Robert Oppenheimer throughout the rest of his life. And the movie doesn't spoon-feed you exactly what those consequences were. They give it to you in a very showing rather than telling way and leads you to come to your own conclusions. It's a very complicated movie and it is a great movie and it's my fourth favorite of 2023. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke, continuing with my list of my top 10 favorites and what I think are the best films of 2023. My number three favorite film of this year, of this past year, is Past Lives. And this is a film that comes out of South Korea. It's directed by Celine Song and stars Greta Lee, T. Yu, and John Magaro, and it's about two childhood friends named Nora and Hae Sung who are deeply connected and are wrested apart after Nora's family emigrates from South Korea to the United States. 
20 years later, they are reunited for one fateful week as they confront notions of love and destiny. And even though this movie takes place in South Korea and America, there is something that is very universal here. We've all had somebody from our past with whom we were very close, and then we were separated probably even from moving away. And thanks to the internet and social media, it's easier to connect with these people more than ever. But there's also something lost after, even when you connect, and also lives uh, change after 10 to 20 years or so, but there's so much poignancy in this movie and so much to love about this film. And there's a lot of sadness too, most definitely, but it is, it's definitely an amalgamation of a lot of emotions, many of which are poignant and the acting in this film by Greta Lee and T.O.U. is what really sells this film. And John Magaro also has a great supporting performance in this movie as well as kind of the third wheel for a number of reasons, but I'm not going to get into exactly why. All I'll say is that Past Lives is number three on what I think is the best film of uh, among the best films of 2023. My number two pick for best films of 2023 is American Fiction. Now, this is a film that I saw during my two-week hiatus of this show, and I haven't reviewed it for you on the show yet. I'm probably going to review it for you on next week's show, but this is a razor-sharp film that also serves as great uh, satire for not only the times in which we live, but also the market of fiction. Because in a lot of ways, the book industry that's lampooned, in a sense, in this movie, is becoming a lot more like Hollywood. They need a a book to sell. They don't necessarily need people to read it, but the critical reviews have made also the, the book industry really try to catch up with the more accessible world of movies, of viral videos, you name it. And American fiction centers on a black novelist who's played by Jeffrey Wright, who's fed up with the establishment profiting from quote-unquote black entertainment. And when he's fed up with this, he uses a pen name to write a book that propels him to the heart of hypocrisy and the madness he claims to disdain. Now, Jeffrey Wright is probably one of the best lead actors this year, and he's usually in a lot of supporting performances, including in my number seven most favorite film of the year, Asteroid City. But in this film, he earns his place in the lead role. And there are also some great supporting performances here by Tracy Ellis Ross, Erica Alexander, Leslie Uggams. Uh, Sterling K. Brown, uh, Issa Rae, and the list goes on. I'm not going to get into detail about why this movie is great. I'll get into that when I get into my review of this film for next week. But I will say it is my second favorite film of the year. So before I reveal my number one, what I think is the best film of 2023, I'm going to give you a list of honorable mentions. So these are the films that I was very strongly considering putting on my list, but I only had 10 spaces. So some of the other films that didn't make this list that I thought were exceptionally great this year include The Color Purple, the musical remake, Elemental, It Lives Inside, The Iron Claw, Joan Baez, I Am a Noise, May, December, and Megan. Now I'm going to go down my top 10 list while revealing at the end what my number one film is. So, my top 10 favorite films of 2023 are Air, number 9, Killers of the Flower Moon, number 8, Dumb Money, number 7, Asteroid City, number 6, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, number 5, Renaissance, a film by Beyonce, number 4, Oppenheimer, Number three, Past Lives. And number two, American Fiction. Now, my number one film of 2023, what I think is the best film of 2023, is The Holdovers. The Holdovers is a film that I think will be considered a modern Christmas classic not too long from now. And I'm a sucker for Christmas movies, but that's not the only reason that The Holdovers is number one on my list. It is a great 
film that director Alexander Payne directed and David Hemmingson, who primarily wrote for TV shows and made for TV movies, wrote here. And the three lead actors in this film, Paul Giamatti, Divine Joy Randolph, and Dominic Sessa, are amazing, especially when they're in the same scenes together. So The Holdovers, for those of you who don't know, is a film about a cranky history teacher at a remote prep school, presumably in western Massachusetts, who is forced during the Christmas holiday break in 1970 to remain on campus over the holidays with a troubled student who has no place to go, in addition to a chef who is not particularly well-appreciated in this private school. And Paul Giamatti is usually great. I, I think he's one of those actors who, even when he's in a bad movie, he's the one who's, who's generally the, the one thing to watch the film for. But also, Divine Joy Randolph has been in a number of other movies and TV shows up to this point. But this is the movie that's probably going to make her career. At least I hope so. And she certainly deserves a nomination for Best Supporting Actress. But Dominic Sessa, who's acting alongside two uh, uh, actors who were trained at the Yale School of Drama, who, who had had never been in a film or TV show or any on-screen appearance previous to this is making his appearance in this film and he holds his own alongside these two Yale-educated and one Oscar-nominated actor. The three of them work amazing together. There are a lot of funny scenes in this film and there are also some uh, sad scenes here. And the ending is not exactly feel-good, but it is very satisfactory. This is hands-down my favorite film of 2023 and that's my list for you. Now, after the break, I'm going to get to the worst films of Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke, here on this special show where I now run down what I believe to be the worst movies of 2023. And to be honest with you, when I was thinking about the worst films of the year, the ones I could put on the list, I actually had fewer really bad films for this year than I did films that I absolutely loved. In other words, the films that I loved outweighed the films that I didn't like or flat out hated. But that doesn't mean that 2023 did not have its share of bad films. And I say that because we've heard a lot about this superhero movie fatigue and also people being very critical of the Disney company for remaking some of its classic animated films. And these criticisms are somewhat valid. However, the movies I saw that fall into these categories, while not great, were, in my opinion, not terrible either. But I will give you my list of the films that I think were among the worst of the year. And rather than doing a top 10 list, I'm going to do what Siskel and Ebert used to do, which is I'm going to put these movies in categories rather than just give you a list. But with that said, the two movies that I thought were the worst of the year, I'm going to save those to the very end. They are their own category. So the first category I'm going to go over of the worst films of the year, just giving one more swing at some of the bad movies of this year is the road to bad movies are paved with good intentions. That's the name of the category, and the reason I named it this category is because these movies are very altruistic, but 
when all is said and done, the movies altogether are not very good. I guess I probably elevate them a little bit higher than the flunk out rating in some cases, but in some other cases, you know, they could have been better. The first movie in this category, The Road to Bad Movies Are Paid With Good Intentions, is Sound of Freedom, which was directed by Alejandro Monteverde and stars Jim Caviezel, Mira Sorvino, and Bill Camp. And this is the true story of a former government agent turned vigilante who embarks on a dangerous mission to rescue hundreds of children from traffickers. Now, this movie has a very good message behind it, and it also got a lot of people into theaters on the 4th of July when it opened, and it continued to be a success. And while I always commend, or rather, I commend most movies for being financial successes, this one I think could have been better because of the simple fact that it made the wrong people the antagonists in this film. Like, for example, you have Jim Caviezel's character, who's a government agent who is seeking this girl who's been kidnapped, and the people in the government are saying, just hang it up and let it go. Well, did they really say that, or are they just putting this into the movie to enhance the plot? Because I could not imagine anybody with a conscience telling someone who is looking for a child who is being sexually exploited to just hang it up and come back to Washington. Maybe they do, but I just have a very hard time believing that. And also I didn't like how at the very end, the movie had what was akin to a public service announcement from Jim Caviezel. The movie could have been better if they just left some of those parts out and stuck solely to Jim Caviezel's character hunting down these sex traffickers and getting these children back. That was all that could have made it a great movie, but instead it just relied on exploitation and spoon feeding its audience how important the message behind this movie was. And that's already an automatic fail. The other movie in the category of The Road to Bad Movies Are Paved with Good Intentions is a movie called The Blind, the true story of the Robertson family. And this movie details the the Robertson family, not the family of Pat Robertson, but the Robertson family of Duck Dynasty fame. Now, this is, in 2023, Pat Robertson died. And when they put on the poster that this is the true story of the Robertson family. This is going to have people go into the movie, not thinking that this is about Pat Robertson's family, or rather not thinking about, not thinking that this is about the duck dynasty family and the duck dynasty family. Those Robertsons do have a good story to tell. After all, they lifted themselves up from poverty. They found a niche and they, benefited from it without forgetting their roots. That altogether is a great movie, but the but the movie here has a lot of hammy acting. It also seems to have an extrapolated point that you should live with your abusive alcoholic husband because as long as he finds Jesus, he's going to be okay. And that is a dangerous message for anybody, most especially young women who see this film, which is why The Blind, the true story of the Robertson family, is one of the worst movies of this year, according to me. My next category is one I call Less Screaming, More Yawning. These are among the worst horror films of the year, primarily because they have what looks to be a pretty good premise, but it's... It should be probably so bad it's good, but it's not even that. Instead, it's just draggy and boring. My first entry into this category, less screaming, more yawning, is Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. There were filmmakers who made this film knowing that in 2023, the character of Winnie the Pooh would be in the public domain, and they took that and they made a lame horror film out of this. The design of the Winnie the Pooh character is really bad. The voice of the Winnie the Pooh character, I guess I'm so used to Sterling Holloway or Jim Cummings from the Disney films, but it's, it's somebody trying to do Winnie the Pooh and doing it really bad. Also, not really saying anything 
really clever or funny. So this movie is about Christopher Robin, who after abandoning his friends, Pooh and Piglet for college, the two of them embark on a bloody rampage as they search for a new source of food, which I guess is not so much honey as much blood. And you know, when a child grows up and moves on from playing with his toys, I I don't know. I I guess it's a really dumb premise and it just didn't work for me. It also wasn't even so bad. It was good. It was just bad. My next entry into the less screaming, more yawning category is five nights at Freddy's. Now this is a film that has been embraced by its fan base, but not by anybody else. And it's a movie about a troubled security guard who begins working at a closed down pizza joint called Freddy Fazbear's pizza. And during his first night on the job, he realizes that the night shift won't be so easy to get through pretty soon. He will unveil what actually happened at Freddy's. And this, this synopsis doesn't get into what makes five nights at Freddy's so special and maybe even so scary. This movie was a cash grab and the people who saw it, who liked it, We're already fans of the Five Nights at Freddy's video games. And this movie was packed with Easter eggs, but not a very good story. And actually, during the first night on the job, the security guard played by Josh Hutcherson actually nods off and falls asleep and nothing happens to him. And that's exactly how I felt while I was watching this film. Five Nights at Freddy's should have been fun, but instead it was boring. Uh, The only saving grace of this film, I got to say, is Matthew Lillard, who has one of the best lines in this film where he offers the job to Mike and he says, the pay isn't great and the hours are worse. And Matthew Lillard is certainly an underrated actor. I think it's it's only great that this film was a box office hit because at least Matthew Lillard is working again and he should really get more acting roles. He was the only bright spot of this film. Other than that, five nights at Freddy's wasn't scary. It wasn't funny. It wasn't endearing. It tried to be everything. And to me, it ended up being none of these things, which is why five nights at Freddy's is one of my worst films of 2023. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I'm your host and movie critic, Dan Burke, continuing with my list of the worst films of 2023. My next category here is shameful sequels. And by coincidence, there's one actor who is in both of the films that I put into this category. But it's not necessarily bad because of him. It's bad because of a lot of other reasons. He just happens to be in this film or these films. The first entry to shameful sequels is Meg to the trench. And this is Meg is short for Megalodon. It could have been for some bratty and and bitchy um, mall girl, but no, I remember seeing uh, the original movie, the Meg back in 2018, and it wasn't very impressive. I remember there was a big shark, but I, that's actually all I remember really about it. But Meg to the trench takes probably what was a bad movie and makes it even worse. And in Meg to the trench, a research team encounters multiple threats while exploring the depths of the ocean, including a malevolent mining operation. And the mining operation is a subplot to this film, even though it's written here in the synopsis. The star of this film is Jason Statham, who I guess does what he can with this. He plays a one-dimensional tough guy here by the name of Jonas Taylor, like he did in the original. In fact, the original Meg was so forgettable except for the big shark that I actually forgot that Jason Statham was in the original. So he wasn't what was bad about the original, but he wasn't what was great either. But the special effects in this movie are very shoddy. You could probably already tell who's going to be killed by the shark. And in addition to that, they also bring in dinosaurs. 
dinosaurs that don't look like they did in Jurassic Park. In other words, they look a lot more cheap. And there's also a scene where these researchers and these explorers are going into a trench and they don't experience any sort of gravitational implosion like you would like what a trench would bring to people who explore it. There's also a scene where somebody is actually hiding down there. And again, it's another unwelcome subplot and it's just altogether a very campy movie. It's not even so bad. It's good. It's just like Winnie the Pooh, blood and honey. It's flat out bad. My next entry in the category of shameful sequels is expend for bulls. It's actually expendables Four, but it's stylized as expend for bulls. And because they took the A in the word expendables and replaced it with the number four. And when I was doing my show the week before this movie came out and I included expend for bulls and on what's coming up next, I included this movie might be bad for two reasons. Number one, the styling of Expend Forbles, kind of like Fan Stick from 2015, which is actually the Fantastic Four. And also, Megan Fox is among the roster of action heroes in this film. Well, those are not the only reasons that this film is bad. They're among the many reasons, but it's not the only reasons. This film is missing a lot of very charismatic actors from the other Expendables movies like Arnold Schwarzenegger, like Jet Li, Terry Crews, and all the rest. The action in this movie is hokey. The people who get killed are not only look like really bad special effects, they also look like video games. And it's just one of these other plots where this group of mercenaries is trying to prevent World War III, like we've seen hundreds of times before. And Expendables Expend Four Bulls, I knew would be one of the worst films of the year, and rest assured, it most certainly is. Those were the shameful sequels. Now, my next category is Bargain Bin Ripoffs. These aren't exactly remakes of other movies, but they're, they're movies that take sort of premises of better and more original films, and almost, even though they both were released into theaters, they feel like the Bargain Bin movies you would find at Walmart on DVD for five bucks. And rest assured, when you see these films, you'll feel the exact same way. My first entry into Bargain Bin ripoffs is the movie Hypnotic, which was directed by and co-written by Robert Rodriguez, who I've seen do better and more memorable films before. This is one of those exceptions. And it stars Ben Affleck. And one of the things that does not make this film work is the fact that Ben Affleck clearly doesn't care. He looks absolutely bored during this film. And who could blame him when this is a film about alternate realities that feels like a bargain bin ripoff of The Matrix. The only thing is, it feels a lot cheaper than The Matrix. And in the end, you don't really care about the characters. And you don't really care about the story either because it's one of those films that you've seen before. And I'm very surprised that an original groundbreaking filmmaker like Robert Rodriguez, who has done bad films before, would make a film that's this forgettable. But Hypnotic is undoubtedly one of my worst films of 2023. The other entry in the category of bargain bin ripoffs is The Pope's Exorcist. This is a film that promises something new to the exorcism genre based on the fact that this is not just any exorcist, it's an exorcist who works for the Pope who's played by Russell Crowe. And this is also one of those films that might be elevated dramatically to some as being based on a true story, but it feels hokey, and the exorcism itself feels very predictable. Now, there was another exorcism film that was considered a sequel to The Exorcist. It was called The Exorcist Heretic. That also made the the worst... um, the list of worst films from other critics. I didn't put it on my worst because I thought the first two thirds of it were pretty good. The exorcism itself that takes place is kind of a paint by numbers exorcism, but it didn't make my worst over the Pope's exorcist because the Pope's exorcist is a lot more predictable and a lot more formulaic added to the fact that like Ben Affleck, Russell Crowe also seems kind of bored here, which he shouldn't be considering that he is an experienced exorcist. And that job has to have its thrills, right? Well, anyway, 
It's one of the reasons why The Pope's Exorcist is one of the worst films of the year and also in my category of bargain bin ripoffs. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke, now giving you the top two worst films of 2023, in my opinion. The number two worst film is a film that I saw so late that I didn't review it actually on this show yet. I may review it a little bit later, I don't know, but it is a Christmas-themed movie, and one of the reasons that I won't uh, get, get into it for the foreseeable future is because I usually reserve Christmas films until December. But who knows? This film is so bad, I might save it for next week. I might. But the film is called Silent Night. It is directed by John Woo and stars Joe Kinnaman and Kid Cudi, amongst other people. The reason this makes my top or my my second worst film of the year is because it is a very formulaic and very predictable action film and the action itself isn't altogether that impressive it's a movie about a grieving father who enacts his long-awaited revenge against a ruthless gang on christmas eve and this is a film that is mostly silent because the antagonist of this film got shot in the throat and therefore can't speak And his training up to Christmas Eve, the silent night where he is seeking revenge on the L.A. gang who killed his son, is very formulaic and very predictable. And the kills in this movie are not very good as well. And the reason this is probably the biggest disappointment for me is because John Woo, who is a very competent action film director, directed this film. He had previously directed some films like Face Off and Mission Impossible 2, which weren't great films in the Academy Awards sense, but they were very competent action films, and they were also very stylistically well done. This film is not stylistic, and the antagonists of this film also, A, look the same, and B, uh, kind of conform to Latino stereotypes that are not very good and also very harmful. So Silent Night is my second worst film of the year. My worst film of the year is a film that I saw not in theaters, but on Netflix. And this is a film that made me so angry that I found myself actually screaming at my TV as I was watching it. So it's a good thing this film didn't come out in theaters because I probably would have been forcibly removed from the theater in which I saw it. The worst film of 2023, according to your host and movie critic Dan Burke, is You People. You People is a film that follows a new couple, a man who's white and a woman who's black, and they find their families both examining modern love and family dynamics amidst clashing cultures, societal expectations, and generational differences. That's what the tagline says. In reality, it's a film about white people, most of whom are stupid idiots, and black people, most of whom are stupid jerks. This is a film that is directed by and co-written by Kenya Barris, and the reason this film profoundly disappoints me is because I have seen some of other Kenya some of Kenya Barris's other projects on on TV, especially his show Blackish, which was a brilliant show, and also some of the films he either co-wrote or co-produced, like Girls Trip or the sequel to Coming to America, Coming Number Two America, which were which ranged from decent to brilliant. You People is just a profoundly stupid film that probably was stupid because Jonah Hill co-wrote it. And Jonah Hill is not only not funny in this film, he's also supposed to be smart, but he does and says some really, really stupid things in this film. 
including, but not limited to, there's one scene where Eddie Murphy's character checks Jonah Hill's social media, where Jonah Hill's character says that he plays basketball every day at Langston Hughes Park. And Eddie Murphy's character claims that he looked it up and finds there's no such thing in the greater L.A. area where this film takes place. Well, no kidding. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to find out there's no Langston Hughes Park in L.A. You could just do a Google search. But also, Langston Hughes Park? Did Jonah Hill think that Langston Hughes was a professional basketball player? He must have, considering that he co-wrote this screenplay. And also, there's another scene where Eddie Murphy shows up to the house of Jonah Hill's character's family, his parents, who are played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus and David Duchovny, and he wears a hat that he boasts was given to him by the Honorable Louis Farrakhan. Now, not only is it stupid that Jonah Hill says, Oh, I love Louis Farrakhan. He's Jewish, by the way. So, when you're Jewish, by default, you shouldn't love Louis Farrakhan. For a variety of reasons. But also, him wearing, uh, Eddie Murphy's character wearing a hat that was given to him by Louis Farrakhan is like me proclaiming that I'm wearing a shirt that was given to me by David Duke. And if you think that's an exaggeration, look Louis Farrakhan up. And You People is a movie that I hated so much, I wished the guy with the mustache from the progressive commercials who is training young homeowners to not be like their parents, appeared in this movie and consulted these people. Like, there's there's a part where Julia Louis-Dreyfus is, is, is telling Jonah Hill's character's girlfriend, who's played by Lauren London, oh, it's amazing what Magic Johnson is doing in, uh, L, uh, you know, in downtown L.A. The guy with the mustache from the progressive commercials, I feel like, should come up to Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character and say, just because she's black doesn't mean she knows Magic Johnson personally. And there are so many other instances where the guy from the progressive commercials could have really been used very well in this movie, which is altogether very stupid. And it's a movie with Kenya Barris behind it. It should have been smarter than it ultimately was. And with Jonah Hill behind it, it's a movie that thinks it's smart when really it is absolutely dumb. And it's a good thing, as I said, this film wasn't released in the theaters because I would have been removed forcibly from the theater given the grievances I had with this film. This movie made me so angry. It has a number of talented people including but not limited to Eddie Murphy and Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who just do such a disservice to their careers by being in this movie. And it's a good thing that Eddie Murphy and Julia Louis-Dreyfus alone were in better films later on this year. One of the films in which Julia Louis-Dreyfus acted, You Hurt My Feelings, almost made it to my top 10 list. It didn't quite make it there, though, but at least she has some better material in her repertoire and you people was a misstep, but I don't think that Jonah Hill should ever be hired for a film project ever again after this film, because I think the main reason this film was stupid was because of him. But Kenya Barris also shares some blame, not only from being the director, but also thinking that collaborating with Jonah Hill was a good idea. It wasn't, and this movie is, you people, is the worst film of 2023 in my opinion, because of it. Well, that's all the time I have for this episode of Words on Film. I always love talking about movies, and I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please subscribe and rate the show and leave comments if you can. I would love to get your feedback, even if it's more criticism than praise. This has been Words on Film. I'm Dan Burke, and until my next episode, I'll see you at the movies.